Your reality is how you perceive what is. Your external world, therefore, is a reflection of your internal mind. To be your best self necessarily requires the knowing of what serves you best. Welcome to the CEO Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Gagno. Join us for conversations that explore the intersection of business, relationships, and self-discovery. We're going to talk about all things software startups, entrepreneurship, and mindset. We know that deep intellectual stimulation and physical connection fuels the primal human instinct to create. And in fact, we seek those things in our everyday lives, whether we realize it or not. This is why most of us daydream, get butterflies when we meet someone new, or seek new experiences in either our personal or professional lives. There are times, however, when we've stayed in one place for too long. And when this happens, the universe lets us know breakups, the loss of a job, or even just unexpected interruptions in the plan you had are all signs, albeit sometimes jarring, that there's a different path we must now follow. So while we all figure out what is this journey we call life, we're here together, talking about it in all of its challenges, detours, and exciting surprises. This is season one, episode one, the Swiss army knife. I think that this year is going to be the year for generalists. And I don't really like that term. I think it's boring. It's unsexy. That's not what I would call myself, but I might call myself a Swiss army knife because I have a lot of different skills, a lot of different interests, curiosity about the world, about life, love, relationships, like startup companies, business, all of that, that I continuously seek learning about. And I want to apply it to my life, to the world, to helping people, to sense of purpose. All of that comes with being able to see big picture and relate things to each other, right? If we have always such a straight and narrow tunnel vision sense of the world, I don't think that we're actually very smart. And I think... I've said it before, actually, on different podcasts, that my experience traveling the world, now this is going to sound really like tangential, not related to what I'm talking about, but it is, I promise you, so stick with me. Traveling the world and experiencing other languages, other cultures, other food, other people, the way they look and the way they act, all of those things is such an eye-opener. And it also is such a humble feeling of like, oh, I'm just this tiny person in this tiny, small little city, and I only know a fraction of people in this world. I'm really not that big of a deal, right? And when you realize that, you understand how much is out there that you don't know yet. Um, I started my career in software, anyway, at Oracle. And... I have no idea why I remember this, but memory is a tricky thing. It's actually very fascinating as well, how you remember things and what you remember and how memory changes over time, but maybe more on that in a different episode. What I remember about my first week of training on the Santa Clara campus in California of Oracle, right? It's training like a week long. You're just immersed, fully immersed, meet a ton of people. There's probably like 200 people there. I don't know. What I remember of that whole session was this. It was the quadrant of the four stages of competency. And I feel like I apply this in my life 
all the time because it makes so much sense and it really helps us to understand like where you're at in your knowledge and your awareness of the world and the first stage of competency is unconsciously incompetent right i don't know what i don't know the second stage is consciously incompetent I know what I don't know. An example of that is me looking at my notes right now to make sure I get it right to you because I know that I don't know and I'm reading it off to you, right? Stage number three is consciously competent. I know what I know, but I still have to think about it. I have to concentrate on it to remember and make sure that I'm saying it right. And then the fourth stage is unconsciously competent. I don't know that I know it. I don't know what I know. And I can do it in my sleep, right? And so as you progress through these stages of competency, you're getting better at something through practice, but you're committing things to memory also, and you're committing things to muscle memory such that you don't even know you're doing it. Cause like, like I said, you're doing it in your sleep. That's easy. I was an SC for solutions engineer for many years. I got so sick of being what's called a demo monkey, right? I could do the same demo eight times a day over and over and over again. That's what my job was. And I hated it. (laughs) Now, there was some good times, right? And I was able to contribute to making the role a better job for me, more satisfying because there was consulting involved and discovery and business process and then consulting with salespeople on how to move through the sales cycle. And I got better and better at making my job more valuable, more worthwhile, more purposeful for me so that I could do it for longer. But I think this is one of my managers, actually my first manager at Oracle, again, going back to that, I remember him talking about the four stages of competency in relation to a job and when people are recognizing, I should say, recognizing when people are ready to move on, you have to, as a manager, understand that people are going to, at some point, progress to that fourth stage of competency and they're going to get bored. If you don't continuously give them new things to do, new challenges, promote them, whatever, they're going to be looking for something else because that's our human nature. We want to do something new. We want to keep learning. We want to keep going through those stages of competency. And I think that's why so many of us, myself included, maybe I'll just speak from personal experience. I think that's why so many of us struggle with the idea of choosing one thing to do for the rest of your life. Like, how did people used to do that? And and I guess my question would be, did they? Or did they just, like, were they okay with complacency? Were they okay with the path that their parents said that they should be on? Like, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. Or we don't know what you're going to be. Choose something. I don't know how that went. I'm not sure. But I know that I struggled in a major way in college. I was like, how how, how the fuck do I pick something I don't know. I'm only 20 years old, right? And uh, I'll probably talk about this more on, you know, other conversations that we have about just like the role of higher education today and how it's changed and how we probably don't need it anymore. And that's coming from someone who got their master's degree in higher education administration, by the way. So I do have some things to say about that. But I think it's so hard to 
pick something because you you don't know who you're going to be in 10, 20, 30 years from now. And I don't think we're taught that as children, as high school adolescents, right? That you're going to change. Your personality will change. The more knowledge you gain, the more um, impact that knowledge is going to have on your personality. The people that you hang out with have such a huge influence on your direction in life. And if you will be successful or not, there's so many variables, right? And one wrong variable and you could be in a ditch somewhere (laughs) or one right variable and you can make a million dollars in one year and have no idea how you did it. I mean, that's the world we live in right now, right? But I struggled in a major way to understand what it was that I needed to do in college because I thought or I equated in my brain that what I majored in was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And maybe just like the fear that people have when they're at the altar getting married, oh my God, this is the rest of my life and they're going to flee, right? Like marriage called off. Oh my God, shit. I made a mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know that I want this. It's fear. It's, it's kind of like boxing yourself in to an ungrowth stage, if I can call it that. People inherently grow. They change over time. They learn and we adapt and we're interested in other things. So why then are we taught in school and in our careers to do one thing, one thing? So I struggle with this and I I equate this concept to the teachings that we're learning now in modern day business. I see this on LinkedIn all the time. I see this from very established, successful entrepreneurs who I respect and who I've even bought courses from say that you need to pick a niche. You need to pick a niche. If you don't have a niche, create your own one, your own niche, like create a new category for yourself, make yourself stand out. And I get it. There's, there's an argument there that has merit, right? And the argument is you brand yourself as this one person who knows how to do X, Y, Z in ABC niche that no one else does. And the law of economics then says that you are therefore scarce and in high demand if you're solving a problem that people have, right? So I get it. It makes sense. And it is a successful model for some people. But for people like me, and maybe like you who's listening to this right now, when your brain works in a way that not only wants to look at all these other things, but thrives on all these other things and seeking understanding about the world at a much higher level and how everything works together, we often feel left out. I know I do, right? Like, okay, all this advice on how to be a good entrepreneur, that's not me because I don't want a niche. I don't want to go down to this level. I don't want to stay in this lane. So what does that mean for us? I actually think that 2023 is the year for Swiss Army Knives. All right. So getting back to my thesis that we talked about, I don't know, five minutes ago or whatever it was. Here's why. Now, we just had a bunch of layoffs in tech, right? Everybody's like, oh my God, what's happening? It's a recession. People are losing their jobs. Uh, Let's freak out. But no, that's not what's going on. Okay. All these major companies that are laying off thousands of people. 
They have cash. It's fine. Everyone's fine. You're going to get another job. It's just a recalibration. And it sucks, maybe. It's kind of scary for some people. I get it. Um, I don't have a job right now, and I'm kind of just doing my own thing. Now, I'm. that's probably a luxury to have. I understand that, right? I'm not trying to be egotistical. But what's happening is not really because there's a recession. What's happening is because these companies are going through a growth phase. And what that means for everybody at the company, everybody external to it, like we're changing. The economy is changing. What people want is changing. Skill sets that are in demand are changing. And this is an opportunity for companies to say, I'm just going to like hide it under the guise of a recession and layoffs, but we're just doing a reorg, right? That's all it is. It's just a reorg. Now, I'm not going to condone the way that it happened at some companies. I have no idea, no insights into how or why those decisions were made and the kind of communication that was um, given to employees on how they were laid off. And in some cases, I think that it was actually pretty bad, but I will say those people are going to be fine. It's all fine. You're fine. Whatever. Because it's simply a transition to the next level. And if you understand it as that, you're going to get to be in a place that's way better than where you were before. And sometimes people just kind of need that little extra oomph like that kick in the butt of like okay you need to be over there now and the universe is telling you you did that that was good for you but now you need to be over here because otherwise you're just going to be bored and I mean I do feel like that happens and if you just kind of surrender to it and say okay I'm taking it all in I will go with the flow it's going to be all right and so I think what's happening is the opening of a new door for all these people, including myself. And it's an opportunity to do some exploration, some self-discovery, some inner work of, all right, take a breath. Where am I? Like, that's the first assessment. Where am I today? And how do I feel about that, right? Am I sad? Am I depressed? And why am I sad and depressed? Or am I feeling a sense of relief? Maybe like, I don't have to do that anymore. Nine to five. That sucked. I was having a fight with my manager every single day about blah, blah, blah. That's a sense of relief. Or, and maybe it's all three of these. I'm excited about what's next. Like, oh my God, now I have so many doors that I could choose, which one do I choose? Or maybe I go th look through all of the doors and then take my time on deciding which door to actually walk through, right? That's a really exciting opportunity in your lifetime and you should definitely take advantage of it. And I think there are so many people that don't really understand that what's in front of them right now is that opportunity to decide what that next path is in your life. So I encourage you to slow down and actually take a look at it, right? Like stop, don't let the panic attack set in, right? And maybe if it helps you to feel better, we can take a look at history. Now, 
I told you earlier that I couldn't decide on a major in college and I did change my major a few different times. And eventually by the end of it, I was like, oh my God, I just need to graduate because it's been five and a half years. Let's get a degree and move on, right? I was embarrassed earlier to admit that, but I'm not anymore because I do think that the system is just broken and I was a victim of a bad system. But nonetheless, I had a few different paths to a degree. And the one that I settled on was history of science. And I actually found it to be very fascinating. Um, so going back to my earlier point, I think that if we can say history repeats itself, if it makes you feel any better, let's take a look at 2008, right? Most of us are old enough and were old enough then to remember what 2008 was like. People were afraid it was a recession, the housing crisis, all of that, right? I remember getting my first grown-up job at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities campus in, I think it was October of 2008, and then everyone, everything came crashing down like a month later, and I was, I felt lucky to have a job. But really, it's just like a recalibration again. We're in the same spot now. Now, in 2008, though, or in 2008, 2009, we had the same kind of thing, like uh, lots of people getting laid off. Um, Right now, that's the same thing that's happening. And what happened then was that we saw a lot of people starting new companies. So right now, there's a, a huge flux of talent coming out of our corporate systems, if you want to call it that, and thinking about what do they want to do next. Now, there's going to be a lot of people that say, fuck you to the big corporations, I'm going to do my own thing. So they're going to join startups or they're going to become entrepreneurs themselves and start their own companies. This is a good thing. Innovation is inherently a good thing for the economy. So like, we're just going to get back on track pretty quickly here. So I, like, again, recalibration is how I think about it, right? But in 2008, 2009 timeframe, we saw companies like Airbnb, Uber, Slack, Groupon, um, I think Glassdoor was another one of them. Square, Jack Dorsey, the payment processor, like, you know, solving a problem of like a business owner can't collect credit card payment because they don't have a huge, I don't know, fucking computer system or whatever. So we just had a little plug in audio jack thing to the mobile device that could swipe a credit card. Okay, like, problem solved. But that kind of innovation doesn't happen unless people are really motivated. And motivation comes from necessity, I think. I don't have a job. I need to make money. What am I going to do? I'm going to figure out a way to make money. And maybe that means starting a business, probably, or else it means go finding another job. But some people don't really enjoy the day-to-day -day, uh, cog in the machine. I'm going to take orders from a micromanager kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I guess just like being, I, there's probably something else I can say about that. I don't know. Like, but my point is that that's not a good life for me. I've decided that's not what I want. And so people like me, people like you listening to this right now, we're creators, we're innovators. We want to do something different and we want to help the world. We want to feel a sense of purpose. So Right now, what's happening is that we have this influx or outflux, you can say, of people leaving the corporations because they were fired or laid off or they're just fed up generally. 
and now they're going to go start their own things. Okay, so now we have lots of new innovative ideas circling around. We're going to see what bubbles up to the surface and people who will build companies that are well-known, successful, and make a lot of money and solve problems for people like you and me in everyday lives, right? That's awesome. I'm excited to see what happens next. But point is, coming all the way back around to what skills are most valued in today's workplace, it's the generalist. It's the Swiss army knife. If you know how to do sales, if you know how to do product design, if you know how to do marketing, if you know how to do podcasts, communicating to your audience and understanding the psychology of what makes people buy, the emotional aspect of it, if you understand how to, I, I mean, I shit, I don't even know. There's so many other things that I probably missed on that list, but, but Think about that though. Those skills are super valued. If someone's looking for a business partner and they want to stay lean in their company, obviously like in a recession, if we're talking about that, uh, there's probably like a limitation on VC money too, right? Because people are going to be less risky or, you know, less, uh, less spendy. I don't know what the word is. I I'm not in that world. I'm not going to pretend to know, but it's going to be more challenging to raise money in a recession, right? I mean, I'm guessing you can tell me if I'm wrong, but you're going to have to operate lean. So if you're creating a business, it's a recession. What are you going to do? You're going to do it yourself. Or if you have gaps in your knowledge, you're going to find someone else to help you to make two pieces a whole, but you're going to want to find somebody who knows a little bit about everything, right? And so that's going to keep costs down. It's going to make you extra efficient, more productive, you're going to just bang it out like that. And that's what's going to make people more successful. So coming back around, that's what's going to make people more valuable to either a company, startup company or otherwise, or, you know, a big company that just laid off 10,000 people. They can't justify hiring more people after they just did that unless you provide extra value. If you're two people, if you're three people, if you're 10 people, then maybe they can say, okay, this makes financial sense. So now let's say we've come to the realization that, oh, I'm a Swiss Army knife. I can do X, Y, Z. And I'm very curious and I'm interested in learning and I want to do these things well. I can help you. What do you do now, right? I don't have a niche. I'm not what these guys say I need to be doing. That's okay. I say it's okay. I think you should say it's okay too. And most of the time when you believe in yourself, it works out. So that's kind of the whole lesson here. But like, what do you do once you realize I'm a Swiss army knife and I'm valuable this year in particular to most people. I'm either going to go out on my own and start my own thing, in which case client A, hire me because I can do these things for you. Whereas you might be hiring four or five people otherwise to do, and your bill is going to be five times the amount, right? I have this hourly rate. Just hire me. You can trust me. Build one relationship with me. I've got you. That's kind of your value proposition right now anyway, if you were going out on your own uh, for a consulting business, let's just say. But if you wanted to join a startup or another company right now and you are a Swiss Army Knife type, what you can do is market yourself, right? You talk about things that you're interested in. You talk about things publicly on LinkedIn or other social channels or podcast or a blog or whatever, however you best communicate. 
um, do that, right? Don't ever put yourself in a position where you know you're going to struggle. I would say if there's an area that you're a little bit afraid of, challenge yourself because that's a good learning experience and it's it's growth, right? Do things that are hard. It's going to make you better. But also market yourself in a way that you know you're going to be confident. You're going to show your strengths. You're going to tell people, this is why you should hire me. And if that means talking about the things that you want to do, even if you don't know how to do them yet, position yourself as curious about those things you want to learn. Ask questions, start conversations. You don't have to be a know-it-all. And in fact, people don't really like know-it-alls anyway. So be a little bit, you know, humorous and have some humility and ask questions and be okay with abstract ideas. Like people really actually understand that and relate to that more than you might know. And, you know, this is kind of cliche to say, but be authentic. What does that mean? I I think it really just means be yourself and don't lie about who you are. Ask the question, like all of that that I just said. I think a lot of people are afraid of being vulnerable. And I think vulnerability and authenticity go hand in hand. I, I think that you can't be authentic without showing some vulnerability. So just be comfortable with that. And practice makes perfect get better at showing yourself in public more and more and people respond to you. There's a fear that, oh, what if I say something stupid or what if somebody doesn't like what I have to say or, you know, like, who cares? Whatever. I I, I wish I could show you the clip now and maybe I'll find it, but there's a, a really cool clip of Leonardo DiCaprio at a very young age answering a question from a reporter about, oh, do you like, are you afraid like your, your peers are going to see this? And like, what are you, like, are you afraid of what they're going to think? Like, uh, and then the answer is like, uh, I mean, maybe my closest friends, but everyone else who cares what they think? Like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And people will follow you. They will engage with you if they're the right audience. If they're not, let them go. It's fine. Those are not the people you're selling to anyway. Mm-hmm.